Welcome to The Meaning of Life, a teaching series with Pastor Mickey Bryce from Center Stage Church. The Meaning of Life is a 10-part study of the three letters from the book of John. Now, here's Mickey Bryce. Today we finish uh, our series called uh, The Meaning of Life. And I hope it's been helpful for you. If you uh, missed some of them, they are available on our podcast series, which you can find by going to our website, uh, www.centerstagechurch.org. And uh, you'll find them there along with uh, earlier podcasts from the uh, first part of the year. Uh, Today we're in the, the third letter of John, John 3, but not John chapter 3. Uh, someone said, well, what is 3 John? Well, it's 3 John. There were three letters. They're put all together in Scripture. The third one is very short, and uh, it doesn't have chapters. It only has one chapter, so we don't have to worry about that. We just say 3 John 6, which means verse 6. All right. So today's last message is called, Who Am I? One of the most dramatic and moving songs of all music theater is the question asked by Jean Valjean in Les Miserables. He is questioning his own character and identity as he contemplates the guilt and innocence of his pursuer, Jovert. He says this, must I lie? How can I ever face my fellow man? How can I ever face myself again? My soul belongs to God, I know, I made that bargain long ago. He gave me hope when hope was gone. He gave me strength to journey on. Who am I? Who am I? I'm Jean Valjean. And so, Jovert, you see it's true. That man bears no more guilt than you. Who am I? 24601, which was his prisoner number. And they say that parts of the gospel aren't in music theater. Yes, they are. God's truth is everywhere. It's everywhere. Maybe in your life you've asked the same question, who am I? We've all come to that moment where we come up short. And we think, what was this all about? Or how did I make such a mess of things? And maybe you failed at something, a relationship or a job. And you've had to ask yourself the question, who am I? Maybe you remember who you were 30 years ago, and it's now 2023, and you know, your hair is gray. That's my tap lesson for the week. I'm inspired by White Christmas. Um, Maybe you've asked yourself the question, who am I in 2023? Because I remember the guy who had brown hair long time ago. Uh, This is what we're going to talk about today. Who am I? What makes me the way I sometimes am? And the implication there is the weird wrong parts. Uh, Why do I do what I do? I've been (laughs) trying to ask myself that question for 68 years. The Bible is full of examples of good and bad. And everywhere in between. There are men and women who serve in the do this category. And there are just as many who serve in the don't do this category. I remember one time uh, early in the church uh, when I decided to do a series of messages about the don't do this people. And it was all bad examples. And this per- one gentleman like roasted me week after week after week because he said I shouldn't be preaching about things that aren't the example. And my question to him was, well, why are they in the Word of God? Shouldn't we learn from the good and from the bad? Do this from the good. Don't do this. In fact, sometimes we learn more from the reverse example of what not to do. So I went ahead and kept doing it. Big surprise. Big surprise. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, to the last letter of John. Uh, Like I said, it's a short letter, and uh, it is written, again, from the Apostle John to individuals and churches. We're talking about all three of them 
in Asia Minor in the first century. This one, we're going to meet three men. Three men. Each of them was a real person that John either knew or knew about. Each of them has a testimony and was known to the church at large, most probably in Ephesus. Each of them, we're going to see who they are. And you can ask yourself the question, who am I? Am I like one of these? Yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. Here we go. Uh, verse 1 of, of Third John. The elder, that's John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health <clears throat> as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. And he's talking about his spiritual children there. Although every parent reads this and applies it to their own children. Verse 5, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts to these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of, his na of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And these are missionary types that go from church to church. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. That's what John ended up doing, Paul and others. Verse 9, we meet our second guy. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, so we change a little bit, does not acknowledge our authority. And the authority he's speaking of was apostolic authority, which meant the people who lived and walked with Jesus in the flesh had a position of leadership once the church began to be organized. Verse 10, so if I come, again, John, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing taking, uh, talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers, again, the missionaries, and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Good advice. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And now a third person. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful letter. Would you help us to see your truth in it? Uh, I pray that anything I say that is not in your spirit would not be understood today, but the things that are uh, of your work and of your spirit would be sealed to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> thank you, Father, that your word is true and right and good and applicable to our daily life, even in 2023. Help us to see who we are in Christ today. In his name we pray. Amen. So let's uh, talk about these three guys. Uh, Gaius, a very popular name. We don't know tons about him. We don't know for sure if he's the same one as mentioned in other passages, but we do know that John sent the letter to him, okay, to Gaius. And we know that John loved him, okay, we get a clue why John loved him as these verses unfold. Like Paul and his joy at seeing other people follow Christ, John is excited and overjoyed to see that Gaius is following Christ. He uses the phrase walking in truth. Um, he it does use the term walking in your truth or his truth, but the, the word truth is an objective word. It's not, you hear that today, don't misunderstand. This is not talking about truth being relative at all. Truth is not relative. That's a lie of the world. There is no such thing as your truth, my truth in that sense. Truth is truth and error is error, period. 
Okay. Uh, we don't always know which is which in the jots and tittles until by faith we look at God's word, we accept its authority, we let it speak to us rather than reading into things with our traditions or whatever might be uh, godly, might not. But that's what John is talking about, I ha that he is walking in truth. And that word truth means the same thing to him as it means to us. The truth of who Jesus is. He is God. He is Messiah. He came to the world to die on the cross in order that the payment for sin for mankind and womankind would be met. We, by faith, and accept that, become part of God's family, repent from our sin, and so on. That's the truth. Uh, and John loves him. Um, Gaius is obeying the Lord's commands. And it is a very fine line in Scripture. You come up against it all the time. And there are two things that are absolutely true. The first is grace is real. What God gives to us, we don't deserve. Here's the other thing. And we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. Okay, set that one on the shelf. That's true. Here's what's true too. We repent of our sin. Stop doing it. And we're not perfect in that. But the, the authentic Christian has repented of sin. Again, not perfectly. We still continue to sin, but it's not living uh, the same sin over and over and over. Gaius is obeying the Lord's commands. He's walking in what he understands day by day as the truth of God's word. It has been said that people would rather see a sermon than hear a sermon. I believe that. I mean, we like to listen to podcasts and we like, you know, little snippets of truth here and there. But when it gets a little overwhelming, we can just look at a person that is a model to us and we can say, I want to be like that. Now, that's not a perfect way and not a singular way to make your decisions. But it is true that the way we live is a big advertisement for or against faith. It's one of the reasons that Zale Theater exists is in order for people who had no other touch with any church whatsoever or any Christians might simply know a Christian that they don't despise. That sounds like a low bar, but not if you meet people out in the world because most of them have no, nothing good to say about Christians because of the stereotypes. And I can tell you that it is a tremendous joy for somebody simply to look at one of us as believers and say, you know, he's one of the nicest people I know. Now, that doesn't save me. But what it does is establish a common ground where you can have discussions. And I was just telling somebody this week about some opportunity that I had with some people that meant a lot to me. I won't go into it because it's kind of private, but it was about the gospel. It was about talking about Jesus. Hey, have you ever thought about this, et cetera, et cetera. And it was uh, unbelievable. I covet your prayers because God is putting us, all of us that know the Lord, in places like this uh, through these opportunities. And that's what's happening behind the scenes in front of you know, but behind the scenes, lots of really cool things are happening from time to time. And that is what he's talking about, what I'm talking about here. Someone follows Jesus, and we see it. And many times, it's more powerful and more immediate than uh, reading or hearing. You need all of it. More than likely, John had led Gaius to the Lord. We don't know that for sure, but I would imagine, based on inferring from what's around. Um, and he loved, John loved, seeing the life of Christ lived out in Gaius. Anybody who's led somebody or a parent who's seen a child come to Christ, <coughs> it's just like it pumps you up. 
to see Christ in them. Because it's like, way to go, Christ. <laughs> you know, it's just cool. I don't know any other way to say it. It's wonderful, deep down. Gaius is obeying the Lord's commands. Again, there's a great deal of joy when people don't obey God's commands because you said so. It, their faith has become their own. And they follow because the, they, they hear that voice of conscience that comes from the Holy Spirit, which confirms that they belong to the Lord. And that's encouraging to those that know them. Follow all that? That's kind of a lot of <laughs> clauses. Um, D.L. Moody said, um, the truth is translated into shoe leather. And what he meant by that was he was talking about people being a living Bible. And I don't, I don't, that's not the only thing that's important, obviously, but what we're talking about today is the testimony and faithfulness of an individual and in this particular case, Gaius. Uh, John saw it because it was translated into the way that he walked, the way that he talked. Uh, it is seen in context of his own foibles and, and his own shortcomings because, you know, you just keep going back to God and people see that. I see it in you. I hope you see it in me. We give God our church and we confess our sin and when we hurt one another, we say, I'm sorry, and we move on, and let's quit talking about that, because I said I was sorry, and I wasn't being facetious. Same with me, and we, we see that as Christ has lived out in our lives, um, it brings him glory, because what results is a church where people really do love each other, because that's the only reason that people forgive one another, is they love each other. And Christ gives us the ability to do that. Okay. What you see is what you get. Gaius was a person who also helped other people in the church, just like many of you. He was openly hospitable in those days. Uh, you know, there weren't very many um, Ramada inns. And so people took in uh, the early church to their homes and, and had them stay with them and fed them and many times supported them with financial gifts. Uh, Gaius welcomed people into his home and into the church. Uh, in those days, preachers who were planting churches could not afford to stay in inns. There were some hotels, but stayed with other believers. This was important for a couple of reasons, uh, it was important that people take care of the people that took care of them. Jesus told his disciples when they received guests, it was the same as receiving him. And that hospitality became well known in the early Christian church. The great Southern Baptist pastor, W.A. Criswell, I remember when I was in seminary in, in Fort Worth, I went over and went to church First Baptist Church, Dallas, and I went specifically to hear W.A. Criswell because I'd heard about him all my life growing up in Arlington and never had heard him except on TV. This was in the 80s when the, the big uh, um, discussions about the uh, utility and the inspiration of Scripture were going on, and he was a, I don't mean that He's more important than Jesus or anything like that, but he was a legend, if, if any human being could be one in the church. Um, but he became a believer at age 10, I found out, when his mother hosted a revival preacher who stayed in their house. And a little 10-year-old W.A. Criswell came to Christ because of it. Wow. And look what became of him and what, how God used him in First Baptist Church, Dallas. All of those he ministered to were glad his mom did that. You know what? Moms, dads, hang in there with your kids or your grandkids, if the case is. In verse 8, John mentions the importance of unselfish giving to these people who go out and share the gospel in faraway places. So put that one on the shelf. We know it's true. Do it. Okay? 
It's not hard, super emotional. You just take care of people. When you get an opportunity, be gracious. Be less concerned that somebody's going to judge your home as you are whether they have a home. Let them in your house. Welcome them. That's something that, that without question, we can see the Bible says people of God ought to be able to do that. Okay. Um, let's turn to Diotrephes, verse 9 and 11. Uh, contestant number two. Um, Diotrephes was a piece of work. He is the poster child for difficulty. Um, he's been cloned in every church in America because I've met lots of them. Maybe you have too. Sometimes when you talk about difficult people in the Bible, some people might think you're singling them out because, as my grandmother said, you kids is all bad. <laughs> so we're, we are. We're all bad. We do things and we're precocious and childish and and sometimes our, uh, our uh, messing around is uh, quite premeditated. But Diotrephes was a piece of work. Uh, A.T. Robinson, the pastor, wrote an article for a, a magazine in the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. And he described the conduct of Diotrephes with that article. But he omitted the, man, the mention the man's name, Diotrephes, or the passage in 3 John. 25 Baptist deacons from various Baptist churches wrote to the editor and canceled their subscription, contending that he was writing about them. Yeah. As O'Reilly says, okay. All right. Well, I'm not singling anybody out. Uh, in our church, if anybody's guilty of something, it's probably me. Okay. Uh, my, the sign on my desk says the blame starts here. Okay, it's true. Uh, but if the shoe fits, wear it. Okay, here's what we know of this guy. He puts himself first. We've all seen it. Maybe we've all done it. He takes care of number one. He loved being preeminent. Having the first and best word on a subject, being the authority. Even his name meant raised by Zeus. Okay, how would you like that? Raised by Zeus, who doesn't even exist. Diotrephes was an example of someone who used church to promote themselves. Whatever position or job he held in the body was an opportunity for him to rise above other people. These kinds of people can be found in every civic group, every church in America and in the world. Because it's human nature. Certain types of people fall prey to this. For whatever reason, you can psychoanalyze them if you want. Sometimes when we psychoanalyze, we do so in order to dismiss the guilt that the person is guilty of doing the thing. Oh, well, they can't help it. Yeah, you can. You should. You need God's help. But it's about people who are writing life on the back of other people. And... I can't say that I'm immune to having done this in the past. Any person in any position of leadership across the spectrum has had an opportunity to make this mistake. And I've made it. Uh, not on purpose, maybe sometimes on purpose, because I'm just as sinful as, as they get outside of Christ. Just like you. We can all do that. And so when you think about these character traits of the don't do this people, don't consider that it's, oh yeah, them. Consider it's, oh yeah, me. And look at yourself first, because that's what the Holy Spirit is in your life for, is to examine you with you. All right. Um, some historians have said that Diotrephes was one of the first monarchical bishops in the early church. This is pretty early, 
latter part of the first century. These men who rose above other equal leaders to prominence, and they were forerunners to what eventually became the elevated position uh, in the Roman Catholic Church when it finally was established. And there, I have no argument with establishing leaders and people that can govern and so on and so forth. That can be godly or it can be ungodly. Uh, the structure itself isn't the problem. But when someone begins to want that, you have to ask the question, why do you want that? And if the answer is because I want to serve the Lord, then great. I hope that's my reason for being in leadership and others in our church. If it's not, it should be. And we should think about that. This guy, however, has no respect for authority. Nobody can dispute the fact that all of us are under authority. Our highest authority is God, and God has set up in our life a governing system, both civic and personal and business uh, or job, in order to help us be all that God wants us to be. God uses that to shape us. And if we're always pulling against it because they don't have a right or something, 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 then something in our heart is just proud. And we need to kind of get that fixed. Otherwise, we're lost forever in terms of finding humility. And I can tell you that humility is a hard one to capture, especially if you're a choleric type of individual, or sometimes even a sanguine individual who's life of the party and they're focused on themselves rather than other people. So Diotrephes has no authority, no respect for authority. Again, before you say, oh yeah, like him or like her, think about yourself because we read the word of God and disrespect its authority when we don't do it. Let that sink in. When we read the word of God or have it read to us and come in contact with its truth and its precept and we do nothing to change our life to align ourselves with it, we have no respect for authority as individuals. There are groups of Christians who have enshrined disobedience as a way of life, and doctrinally. But when you really delve into it, it is rebellion against precepts that are clearly biblical. And to do that, you have to discredit it and play a bunch of funny games. Foolishness. This was Diotrephes. Reading the Word of God, which at that time was incomplete... And by our actions, deny that the Bible has any authority in our life. That's us. We break the laws of God. We speed through God's time zones. I mean, his speed zones. Okay? How many of you have done that? We all do it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. The guy's sitting over there. We rob God of his riches. And the riches I'm speaking of are truth. Right, good, all those things that we'd say are the best things in life. We murder people with our thoughts and desires. And I don't think that sometimes, I don't think that I'm overstating. Uh, the evil sometimes is overwhelming in the lives even of believers. Certainly we see evil in the world and it's just like right out there now, right out there. It calls itself evil even. And it's just so clear. But again, the Holy Spirit wants to clean us up. And the worst way to do that is blaming other people for our problems. Take responsibility. And this guy wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He was also inhospitable and actively hurting people with his words. Oh, I skipped that part. Let's go back to that. It didn't stop there. Diotrephes was actively hurting people in the church with his words. It was not only what he said, but how he said it. I have heard church leaders that I worked for speak to their own staff in such a way that brought them to tears individually. And it's shocking, the rudeness that I've heard. 
I pray I've never been guilty of that. Maybe I have. I don't know of it. But I sure have seen it. And I, maybe you have too in work or someplace where you just can't believe that somebody takes a shot at somebody. And I mean, it's not a shot. It's a rifle shot right to the head. I mean, it's bad. And it's just so rude and hurtful. And you may know the person so you know how much that hurt that person. And most people in authority got there because they can read people. And when you can read people, you know what hurts them. And when you go there to do it, that's just a terrible thing. And we should be ashamed that we ever did it. And when we see it, we should speak out again. This is the guy, Diotrephes. He was an all-around bad guy. So how did this guy get to be a church leader? A early bishop, if you will. Good question. Again, think back in your own life, especially if you've been in the church for years and years and years. You might, somebody might come to mind. And your question at the time when you dealt with the person, male or female, how in the world did a church invest leadership in that person with that character? We won't go there. But I've asked the same question many times and never found an answer. Well, not one we want to talk about. So this is don't do this, okay? And then hold that one. Let's go to number three, Demetrius. Verse 12, what a great guy. He's well spoken of. You know, of all the things that I would like to have be true of me, maybe the same is true of you, isn't it nice to be well spoken of? What a joy. And it's something that can be very quickly destroyed with someone when you forget and are unkind. Uh, it takes a long time to earn that sort of label because people have seen you here and there and the other and they feel how you make them feel. So here's Demetrius and he is well spoken of. People had good things to say about him. He was a testimony I think he was admired and he rubbed off on people. Again, somebody probably comes to your mind. This person is affectionate to you. They make you feel good and it's not a trick. It's genuine. They rub off on you and it's like, I, I'm just so glad to be around them all the time. And it's wonderful. And we go out of there as better people. A noted Christian lawyer and author said this, we unconsciously imitate what pleases us and approximate to the characters we most admire. In other words, whatever it is you value most in life, when you meet people with that, you really gravitate toward that and imitate that. If you admire someone and if someone's character trait pleases you, it's a natural reaction to try and imitate them and copy them. George Swinock, a Christian writer, said this, man is a creature led more by patterns than by precepts. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't learn laws uh, that are true. But it just means that we more quickly imitate others because we see it. Okay, this is why we say the people that you meet, you're the Jesus they see. Your hands and feet, you are Jesus in the flesh to other people who don't know him. They don't have him. The Holy Spirit is not speaking to them because he doesn't live in them yet. What they have is us. And that kind of adds to the, okay, let's get in gear here. And never miss an opportunity to be a witness. And many times we do, but set that one aside. Human beings naturally follow examples, whether they be good examples or bad ones. We see somebody, we imitate that. We liked what they were or have, so we do that. Bad or good. Sometimes people are bad and they get what they want. 
Sometimes people are good and they give what you want, which feels good. Uh, it's like the overprotective mother when she took her son to the first day of primary school. This kind of, uh, well, never mind. Um, insisted on talking to the teacher before leaving the child with her. The mother told the teacher that if uh, her young man misbehaved, she should punish the boy next to him. And the teacher said, why? And the mother said, well, my boy learns from example. Okay. So Demetrius was trusted by the Christian community. And we see this in what John writes. His life seemed to be consistently lived out to others he came in contact with. This has to be one of the central themes we've talked about week in, week out, love. The way that we know that we love God is that we love other people in Christ. God's intention was not just to have an objective incarnation of theological principle. Jesus came in the flesh. He was knowable. He, you could walk with him. You could talk to him. He sweated. He cried. He was a human being who happened to be God and perfect. Um, in other words, Christianity is not just what you know. It is how you live. Now, I grew up in an intellectual Christianity. I grew up in the Methodist church, which in many ways was wonderful. In those days, I learned a lot about a general good theology. Uh, and as I came to Christ, I realized that people are not really, it's not enough just to know the right things. I then came into the evangelical church where if there is a mistake made by the evangelical church is that they worship the Bible. And we don't worship the Bible. We study it. It is the record of God's revelation. But the word of God is Jesus in reality. We worship the Godhead of persons. Um, and we spent all of our time in those early years studying the Bible. It was a big deal. But church became like going to school. And never was there much discussion about, okay, well, and in light of this, what kind of fathers should we be? What kind of mothers should we be? How should we treat each other? And do we enjoy being around each other? And so all the relationships were intellectual, and ultimately that leads to a very sterile human environment. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've come through that. It's like going to church was like going to school. And everybody likes to get home from school. But when you go to a party, you want to stay forever, don't you? If you enjoy it. Because why? Because we're created to love people and to need people, whether we are introverted or extroverted, it's just a matter of degrees. So Demetrius is trusted by this Christian community. His life seemed to be consistently lived out in others he came in contact with. In other words, Christianity is not just what we know, it's how we live. said that a minute ago. So, uh, you get to pick. And I'll ask you to choose which guy am I most like. And if you're a lady today, just pick one of the men. okay? Because the, these, these types are female as well in our world. Three men. Three examples, three testimonies, and it's a good exercise of which one am I most like and why. I did not say, who do I want to be? That's a whole other discussion. That's easier. Who am I means, okay, read the track record of my life and be honest with yourself. And it's okay if you fail, because guess what? It's a 100% fail rate at times. There's not a person in here who hasn't failed at being God's person, at least once. So, okay, let's talk about that. Let's open up and say, you oh, know, this is hard for me. 
Somebody says, me too. How did you learn how to do that? Well, here's a discipline. No, 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 no. And maybe you're helped by that. Maybe somebody needs you to help them. That's why we talk. Who do I want to be is not the question. Who am I today is the first question. So am I Gaius? Let's ask first. Am I walking in the truth every day? Am I welcoming other people who share the gospel with other people? Am I giving freely of my money, time, my treasure, whatever that might be, to those causes both inside and outside of the church freely, not worrying about, oh, am I going to go over 10%? And not necessarily even striving to do a certain amount, but just responding to what God puts in your life. Am I giving? Who am I? When is the last time I had someone in my home spend the night that I wasn't like family? When's the last time I wrote a liberal check to a missionary or some cause that I have nothing to gain from giving to? Nothing. When is the last time someone said to me, of me, you know, you really walk with the Lord and that's an inspiration to me. Can you imagine someone saying that about you? I hope it's true for many of you. I can tell you, wow, I've known some people like that. They are an inspiration and I've told them. The question is, would anybody say that about you? And should they? Should they? Okay. Am I Diotrephes? Here's the hard one. So, again, if the shoe fits, do I work against other Christians? Subtly, creatively, intellectually, the smarter you are, the more tricks you know. But I'm on to you. Because I know all the tricks too. And God has smitten me on occasion because he revealed, you're doing this for a really bad motive. And I can't do that. I can't live with myself if I know that. How about you today? Are you... Uh, Refusing to welcome people into your home. Now, I'm not saying that everybody has to have somebody every week or anything. But if the reason that you don't is fear or, well, it doesn't matter the reason. If God said it's important to do, then make a case in your own life that I need to do this and let God open an opportunity for you to do it in his spirit and he'll provide for you, Period. I'm not saying it's a legalistic thing. We can't just call union, jot and tittle, all this stuff. It's a matter of the heart. And we use all these gauges just to draw conclusions about the direction we can go specifically. Um, and so that's why I asked the question. Um, when is the last time, again, someone said of you, that person walks with the Lord? Wouldn't we all want that said about us? But is it true? I hope it is. Third, am I Diotrephes? Working, uh, excuse me, that's the one we just did. Uh, have I ever worked against someone else in the church simply because I wanted what I wanted? Okay. Now, am I Demetrius? Do people say good things about me? If not, why not? Maybe I'm unknown because I'm too scared to be known by anybody. And I go to church hoping that no one will talk to me. Okay, you're welcome here if, that's, if you're here. But I would say, I would love to talk to you. You're worth knowing. And maybe if that's you, you should consider how much God loves you and how much God would want you to be known by other people because it's affirming. And that helps us. Uh, does anyone look at me and imitate me in a good way? Do they look at my life and say, I want 
what he does, or I want what she does. I've done that. Some of the greatest things that I've learned come from walking alongside other pastors, men and women, who have guided me. Not, they didn't even know they were doing it. They were just doing it. And I thought, wow, the way the tenderness that they treat other people is a model, especially for somebody that just like, kind of stomps around and hoping that God will lead him. That's a little harsh for me, I would think, but uh, maybe not. I know that I'm not extremely um, careful. I just sort of walk through the daisies and, oh, come on, let's get this thing cleaned up. And I sometimes miss the subtleties of what people need. But I'm married to someone who sees all of that first. And she's gifted in ways that I'm not gifted. And maybe that's the way if you're married and your spouse is too, because it's great. You can learn from each other and God will use you as a team. Um, I think the whole idea of people looking at you or me and wanting to imitate our faith is something that I wanted for my kids. And I don't mean that in a way that's prideful. I mean that so sincerely. You can see that I mean it, I hope. And I don't even know that I did it. There's one sitting over there, you can ask her. But I mean that humbly, that I wanted, and so did Ellen, and I know you want our kids to see that Christ matters in our lives. And because of that, we restrict certain things that are bad or wrong. And we advance certain things that are good and right. In order that we be first obedient, but then we are blessed, which is our blessing in it. And our kids see that. And that's what happened to Demetrius. Other people saw him. And they said, that's for me. And they went out and did the same. We have all failed to be what God wants us to be, but thank God he specializes in do-overs. And we will all fail at times. It's just the way life is. We're fallen and we forget and we disobey and we run away for a time period and God calls us back and we confess that and walk back into perfect fellowship with him, and it's awesome. And we look back and say, what an idiot I was. More, what a, what a nasty person I might have been, maybe. Why did I do that? And if there's something we should do to make something right, we go and do that and say, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And we hope that the person will, and most of the time they do. God specializes in do-overs. If you have never seen... Les Miserables. Now there's some coarse moments in it you might not like. But in general, when you look at secular culture, we look at the great themes of great literature, and this story is one of the pieces of great literature in the world. You see the lead character who the whole time, it's, it's really an opera more than a musical, but his story is it's about the redemption of Jean Valjean. He commits crimes and he feels cursed by God and men. And the rest of the show is his fight to redemption. And uh, he credits not only a priest, but others to be people of faith in this do-over. And like Jean Valjean, you should ask yourself the question, who am I? Who am I today? Am I uh, Gaius? Am I Diotrephes? Am I Demetrius? I'll, I'll be proud of you if you remember which one was the bad one. Do you remember? <laughs> Diotrephes. Who am I? Or as the uh, uh, case may be, who I choose to be, because we are in 10 years the people we choose to be today.
That's a way of framing it all into the positive God's future. We are in 10 years who I choose to be today. So I just leave you with this. Uh, let Jesus sing in you today. Choose him as you move forward in this holiday season. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of knowing you. And I pray, Father, that you might impress upon us the value of our witness. Uh, help us, Father, to understand how very important it is. Yes, help us also to understand that when we failed, that you specialize in the do-overs and you just want to start over every time. And Lord, sometimes that's necessary. Other times we can pick up where we left off and Help us not to be sidetracked by the guilt and shame that Satan wants to put on us, which really has been covered by the blood of Christ, just like our own sin. And I pray, Father, that we could just unabashedly confess that, move on, and keep being your person in the world that we live in. It is so dark, God. And people that we meet every single day are dying and going to hell. And we're worried about what people might think of us. Help us, Father, to be bold and to speak and to talk and to be sensitive. And maybe, if necessary, to be quiet for a time. But we're pretty good at being quiet when it comes to sharing Christ. Thank you, Father, for the truth of these three letters that we've been studying these months. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in our life through this holiday season. Maybe we will come in contact with family that is really struggling and needs us uh, to be encouraging and to speak openly about difficulty and purpose and love and acceptance and maybe even forgiveness. Thank you, God, that Jesus told us how to do all of this. We love you today, Lord, and we thank you for the privilege of being your people in this dark world. Would you help us to do that? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Join us for the next lesson in this Center Stage teaching series and tell a friend about the Meaning of Life podcast. For more information about Center Stage Church in Gold Canyon, Arizona, visit centerstagechurch.org.